Cool. And we're live. Welcome. Uh, my name is Ian Murphy. This is episode two of Local Legends. And I'm sitting here today with William Ferguson. Uh, how you doing, Bill? Doing fine, Ian. Good. Good. I'm glad to have you here. Um, I guess before we get into this, uh, starting to break down some different questions and stuff, why don't you just tell me and, and the podcast about yourself? Okay. Where you're from. All right. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I uh, went in the military July of 1966 and took basic training at Fort Benning, Georgia, and then went from Fort Benning and lived, was reassigned to Fort Polk, Louisiana, and um, I stayed there a year and a half, and then I went to uh, Vietnam in March of 68, and come home in March of 1969. And then I had seven years where I was in National Guard and Army Reserves. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> let that ring out real quick uh you said that you went into vietnam when sorry i went to vietnam in march of 1968 okay that was year Aunt margaret was on the bob hope show really so i got to see her <laughs> that's cool and then uh you were in vietnam till when Till March of 1969. All right. Um, and then uh, after Vietnam, then you were in the the National Guard. Recently? Guard and Reserve. Guard and Reserves. Yeah. For seven years, you said, huh? Yeah. That's cool. I had altogether ten years in the military. Really? Well, thank you. Um, thank you. What, what did you, um, how was life after, <clears throat> um, well, I guess before we get into after the military, when, how old are you now? I'm 75. 75. And so you were, that would have made you born in, um, when would that have been? 55? 45. 45. 45, yeah. Yep. Uh, how was it growing up in the 50s? That you Wasn't remember? too bad. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of the trouble that they have in the States now. Really? Somebody messed with you, you punched them out, and then they left you alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you remember about like the way of life back then? Um, kind of culture, how people interacted? It was a lot easier. People had common sense. They knew if, if they did something to you that you didn't like, you was going to retaliate. Yeah. And not like the stupid idiots <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, when I talked to my grandfather last week, one thing he had talked to me about, which really struck me, was after, because he went, he was born in 27, I'm pretty sure, and he had went into the war uh, when World War II started. That was like right when the Great Depression was like kind of coming to an end. Mm-hmm. And 
right after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, one thing he talked about was how America had come together, yeah. like so much more than like any time ever else in his lifetime. And I believe, and that's kind of what he was saying too, is that's what helped us and enabled us to win the war is how focused everyone was on on winning together um, and coming together. And he told me that the women in the household would save their bacon grease, like to bring to, um, they would donate it to the government so they could use it in making explosives. Just how useful um, and uh, resourceful everyone was to, to help and, and go towards that war fund. In Vietnam though, it was a little bit different, wasn't it? <laughs> Right. The uh, people, they give us Vietnam vets a lot of trouble Yeah. when we got back. And that's why a lot of us Vietnam vets, we hurt a few people in our time yeah. messing with us. Mm -hmm. You don't respect us, you get knocked out. Yeah. Why do you think that was? Government. Vietnam. Vietnam, the, the big shots kids didn't have to go and... We did. So, what do you mean? Like Biden, what he's done for his son now, mm -hmm. and the big scandal on that, mm -hmm. uh, it was the same way back in Vietnam thing. Oh, the really? Big Shot's kids didn't have to go. The, the government, like the people who were in power, yeah, their kids didn't. And it's always been that way. Yeah. The people making the decisions, and yeah. they kind of get to say how, how things go. Yep. Why do you believe we were ever even... I mean, because that was, I think, part of the um, the whole conflict with the war was that we, you know, a lot of people didn't think we should have even been over there in the first place. I think you were probably too young to really be confronted that much with it. Um, see, m most of us that were confronted with that was in our early to mid-20s. In the 60s? Yeah. In the mid '60s, I graduated from high school in '63, and then the '60s was my time in the military. And were, were you drafted, or did you? No, I I enlisted. Okay. I wanted to uh, get personnel. I'm blind in my right eye. Okay. So I knew I didn't want to take a chance of getting stuck out in the field, only being able to see with one eye. Yeah, that didn't prevent you from from joining them. No. Huh? No, I, I enlisted and I got guaranteed my personnel because my they take a battery of tests. Yeah. And what you qualify for, uh, I qualified real high clerically. Hmm. So, got what I wanted. I got you. What brought you to enlist in the first place? Because that would have been right, right when you enlisted was... So you went to Vietnam in 68, but you enlisted in... Sixty six. Sixty six. I uh, I had a college bill to pay off. I oh, want, really? I want to get out of debt and uh, doing like I did. I was able to get enough rank. I was the same as a sergeant. Oh, really? So was that because of your college that you had prior? I think? didn't have that much college. I got you. It was just I knew what to do and yeah. You did a good job. I I thought I did. Yeah. I I made that. They have they call them E one two three four five. Well, I was E five, which is same as 
a buck sergeant. Okay. And only I was called a spec five. That's a specialist. Hmm. And I didn't have any command responsibility, but I had everything else. Yeah. The benefits. Um, <clears throat> how was that like with your community growing up in Columbus? You grew up in the city. Yes. Uh, my school was Mifflin High School, and uh, did I? We 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 did pretty good. My graduating class of '84, I had a couple guys I went to school with that got killed. Oh really? Over Nam. Did you face um like when you made the decision to enlist? Did people? Did you really tell anybody, or did you just kind of went and did it? Like, like, I, I went and did it, and my my wife was able to stay with her parents while okay. I was over in Vietnam and everything. That's good. Um, well, the reason I started this podcast, uh, Bill, was just originally to... It was about veterans and about the fact that I've I've always respected military um, and had an appreciation for veterans and people who have served and dedicated their their lives and um, and time to serve our country. And I feel like you don't see that respect a lot anymore. You don't see that kind of patriotism anymore um, um, as much. When I got back from Vietnam, I took a little bit of flack from some people. Mm-hmm. They they said some things over her phone. I consequently hurt some of them back. Yeah. And it, that's the way most of us non-vets were. Yeah. And to this day, if you mess with us, and if there's other Vietnam vets around, they're going to help you against whoever's messing with you. Mm-hmm. And that... That's kind of what it goes into is, you know, right now with the way our country is, there's so much split um, polarization and hate and judgment going every way, whether it's yeah. right, left, white, black, it doesn't matter. Um, and I feel like, you know, we've constantly been uh, increasing and advancing in technology you know, through the last 20 years. Yeah. But it seems like our compassion, our morality, um, and, you know, our relationship with God, you know, whoever God is for everybody, you know, um, it doesn't matter. It's been dwindling away. You know, prayer was taken out of schools and, you know, there's been threats to take, you know, one nation under God out of our, you know, Pledge of Allegiance. Whatever it is, it seems like people are just losing sight of why we're even here on this earth. You know, and, and I feel like yep. a question that we all ask ourselves, um, one of the biggest questions is, you know, what's my purpose in life? Why am I here? Um, I feel like that's one of the biggest questions everyone asks uh, themselves at some point. And I feel like to find that purpose, you know, whether you believe in God or not, um, I was raised Christian. And I one thing that stuck with me out of the Bible is, you know, God created man and woman in his image. And God created the entire universe and, yeah. and all of us here. So I feel like in order for us to find our our purpose in life and our passion, we have to be creating something worth meaning um, and and ultimately like loving and serving other people. Uh, and that's why 
you know, I didn't realize that when I was younger, but I think that's why I've always had a respect and appreciation for veterans a lot mm-hmm. is because you guys were willing to give your life. You know, everyone has their own reasons of going into the service, but you're you're willing to give your life, you know, and take life, which that takes, you know, I, it takes a really special person to be able to do that. Um, and in order to have that, um, that willingness, enableness for, and selflessness really, you know, because it has to be serving, you know, a greater cause um, yeah. at some point. But, uh, but also, uh, it's understanding, you know, people who have dedicated their lives to service. I, I've realized, especially now with COVID, it does branch beyond veterans too. You know, healthcare workers are a big, big one. You know, they're, yeah. especially with and the our, pandemic, we have and our on. police, our police officers. And our firefighters and first responders, you know, are a lot of people who've been taking a lot of crap right now. Veterans, you got you guys, especially your era of veterans, took a lot of crap after Vietnam and even when you went in. But now it's the first responders and the police officers who here who serve our country here in the country, and they just take crap, you know, nonstop. Uh, you see these things like what happened in Compton a few weeks back, a month back, where cops were shot point blank in their you know vehicle, yep. and people you know we all are wanting to think you know how can we take for ourselves and and grow ourselves you know but i think we all fall short of sometimes of you know losing sight of how can i serve my neighbor and you know the people i'm next to so to understand your perspective of the generation you grew up in and your time in the service i think that that can teach me a lot and everybody else listening a lot as far as how we can serve in our lives, too. I spent a year and a half in the military stationed at Fort Polk, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. That was, at that time, the training place for the Vietnam infantry soldiers. Mm -hmm. They had a village that was set up like a real Vietnam village, and the guys went through their training there. And I got to see them. They ran right by my office every morning. Really? So I'd, I'd, I'd go out and growl at them. <laughs> Inner service having fun with each other. Yeah. yeah. What, uh... <clears throat> was there something that you experienced in your... Because uh, I know you said you went to end of the service to pay off college debt. But was there something that originally, but was there something that happened to you in your childhood, whether that was like an event or a person um, who influenced you to to serve? No. Mm-mm. No, it just, uh, I, I've always been someone that I do what is right, no matter what it costs me, I'll do what is right. And... That's why a lot of Vietnam vets were like that. Why do you think that is? Just the way our parents brought us up. We we come up in a time if if you got a spanking at school, you got one, and you got home too. Mm-hmm. Now the the parents want to beat the teacher up that spanked you. Yeah. Or just yells at you for that matter. Yep. Um, 
Now, some some of these pictures here. This tall guy is my cousin. He was over in Vietnam a year longer than I was. Really? He kept extending. And you know what a deuce and a half truck is? A deuce and a half truck? Uh-huh. Mm -mm. It's a great big... You see them usually, they, like on combat, they're, they're in the back of a big truck. That big truck is what they call a deuce and a half. Okay. It's two and a half tons. Mm-hmm. And I even got my driver's license, and I was qualified to drive one of them. I didn't want really? to because my eyes. Yeah. But this guy here, the big tall one, my cousin... Mm -hmm. He uh, he was going over into Cambodia retrieving tanks that had broken down over there. And we weren't acknowledging that we was over there. Mm. So, And he, he died from Agent Orange. What do you... What's some of the most... Um... I guess, tell me about your experience in Vietnam. I'm one of the few people that actually heard the round that was supposed to have gotten me. Really? Uh, mortar rounds and artillery rounds, when, when they're fired, they make a boom. Shh. That's outgoing. Hmm. And if you hear something, shh. And it hits, it's exposed to explode. I had one hit right out, outside, out where I was sleeping. Like you see these, uh, uh, the sandbags. Yeah. Some of the buildings. Yeah, like right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was just outside where I was sleeping. Only it, when it hit, I heard it hit and it went click. The detonator just went, and we always said thank Charlie for his <laughs> incompetence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Was that right after you were there, got there? Uh, I think I hadn't been there very long. Mm -hmm. And when I first got there, we weren't being mortared and rocketed. Really? But Johnson called the bombing halt and quit bombing the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Mm -hmm. So Charlie got his stuff down there to try to kill us. Mm -hmm. Consequently, I grew up a staunch Democrat. My parents were staunch Democrats. Yeah. I converted to Republican. Really? I said, these fools are trying to kill me. <laughs> yeah. And see, they'd make us carry our M16. I told you that. Carry our M16 or gas mask, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't let you have ammo. Now, what's the sense behind that? Why Why do you think, why was that? That's the way our government, <laughs> we, we asked our government, I had ammo. Yeah. But I'd been court-martialed if I'd been caught with it. Huh. But it saved my life a couple times. Really? Yeah. I was listening to this, um, this interview actually while I was working today um, while I was on the road and it was a, from another Vietnam vet and he was talking about when he got there 
uh, he quickly realized that, like, that the war was a lie, or that's what he was saying is what the American people were told as far as why we were there. Um, none of it started, none of it made sense to him while, when he got there. Do you know what he meant by that? Um, yeah, because we weren't allowed to shoot unless we were shot at first. You're on guard duty. They issued you ammo when you went on guard duty. Mm-hmm. But you weren't allowed to fire. If we heard something, mm-hmm. we had to call on our field telephones and tell them we heard something, and they wouldn't let us shoot unless we were shot at first. That's called rules of engagement. Yeah. They're plain stupidity. <laughs> Um, I'm thankful I never had to shoot, but I did have to lock and load a couple times. Mm-hmm. That's when you put your ammo in your weapon and it's ready to fire. Yeah, you're just at that step right before. I, I had a couple incidents. And... What were you told, um, or were you told anything when you were deployed there? Because you, you said you enlisted in 66, Yeah. and you went to Vietnam in 68. They had what they called, uh, it's rules of assignment, you know, that you're on alert to be sent somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I got that in December of uh, 67. Okay. And my uh, oldest son was born in uh, January of 68. So... I had about three months before I went to Nam. Gotcha. Well, because the war was already going on then. Oh, yeah. When, when we you, actually uh, were over in Vietnam in the early 60s. Yeah. Cause it, was that when it kind of officially began? Was early, like 61? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There weren't that many, but we were there primarily in an advisory capacity. To try and prevent the spread of communism, right? Is, yeah, is and that what... try try to teach their soldiers how to defend themselves. The the South Vietnamese, which were supposedly on our side, yeah, we would train them. So, from what I understand, um, and I'm not as well educated as I should be, um, I've been doing some research uh, to prepare for this, um, for us to sit down and talk. But Vietnam was kind of going on in like a civil war sort of deal, kind of like Korea was um, to some extent. And, you know, the Soviet Union was trying to, and China was trying to help spread communism. Um, but they were trying to become independent from that as a, as a country, Vietnam was. And it seemed like we were there almost fighting a war on two fronts. Like we were trying to stop the spread of communism and soldiers coming from from north vietnam but also from what i understand and i could be wrong but the vietnam people all around weren't very happy with us being there either they were in a difficult situation if they helped the americans the what we call charlie the north vietnamese they would try to kill them they'd steal their food like the Viet Cong. yeah yeah so consequently they they were in a, they would hurt our guys and we'd wipe out wipe out a whole village 
Did you hear of Lieutenant Talley? Mm-mm. His troops wiped out a bunch of Vietnamese, mm-hmm. the South Vietnamese. And it, it was all because our higher officers wanted to make themselves look good. And you, you take a man that's got men, his men are getting killed and they're not allowed to fight back. He just went berserk and wiped, wiped the whole village out. And really? you can understand it. Because he's getting his men killed and right. at the same time being told he's not allowed to fight back. Yep. And so he went against orders and wiped out their whole village. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't actually him. It was some higher-ups than him. Really? He just paid the price for it. He survived afterwards, but then paid yeah. the price. I got that from a colonel friend of mine. He told me about it. Hmm. And uh, what happened to those people who, like those soldiers, our soldiers who did fire fire back? They got fort court martialed. You know, if, if you're being fired at, you're not going to ask anybody's permission. You're going. No. It's like in a firefight. If you have a firefight, your object is to put as much we what we call amp bullets, mm-hmm. put as much in that where it's coming from. You saturate that area. Mm-hmm. And have you ever heard of Puff the Magic Dragon? There was a song that mm-hmm. you probably heard. Yeah, I've heard the song. Well, that was actually true. It was a big plane full of mini guns and machine guns. And when they would go out, I saw one of them in action one night. You see the plane, you hear the ammo, and our our guys are using tracers. And when you're using tracers, every tenth round is red for us. And when they're using those miniguns, you hear, <coughs> and it's like a thousand rounds a, a minute. Mm-hmm. There's that much. And I, I saw one of them when I was on guard duty working. Really? Yeah. Just deadly. Yeah. And now, if you, you have cable. Mm-mm. Okay, if and when you're somewhere where you can watch cable, Mm -hmm. there's a show on channel 142 called Tour of Duty. It's about Vietnam. Tour of Duty? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the channel is 142 on your regular network. Is it like history or is it a local channel? PBS or something? Uh, It's, it's you know, they have the stations that aren't cable. You know, okay. the network. Yeah, mm-hmm. like and ABC, ABC. 142 is one of them. Okay. Because you can, you can watch, uh, there's a lot of military shows on, but my biggest gripe, they have these shows, but they don't give them to the veterans free. Yeah. You know, it don't make sense. Uh-uh. Yeah. Now, um, Excuse me. 
Um, do you feel like in this interview that I was watching today, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, uh, this guy was saying that he felt, and a lot of other veterans felt betrayed by America once they got there to mm -hmm. Vietnam. <clears throat> Do you feel like that was because of the uh, <clears throat> the do not fire? It was strictly political. <clears throat> and then you're you're old enough to remember what's happened in the last two or three elections how Obama was apologizing for America. Mm -hmm. And Obama let us run out of ammunition. Generals complained about it. They tried to get ammo and all that. And Obama, Obama wouldn't let them have it. Here you're supposed to fight a war without ammo. You can't. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's why most of these guys here, some of them I've forgotten their names, but you get you get friendships that, and that this is a homemade desk that I had, and we we got ourselves as much anything we could get. We had supply sergeants who let us have it. Oh, really. So we, we took care of each other. Yeah. You had to, I'm sure, probably form a pretty good bond with the soldiers you were out there with. I had one guy in particular, he and I met over there. He ended up in charge of officers' personnel files, and I was in charge of senior enlisted. That's your E7s, 8s, and 9s. And we... We looked out for each other. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Um, I remember when I first talked to you about doing this, you said that because uh, you're in personnel, that you knew a lot of things that was going on, like in the war. Yeah. As far as stories that I probably never had heard about. Well, I I talked that... to a lot of the guys. They would come in would need some paperwork taken care of, and I'd take care of it. And we, we'd get talking, and they would talk to me where they wouldn't talk to a lot of other people. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I just let them know how, how how I felt. And there was things I took care of for them, and I had supply sergeant buddies, and I could get stuff for them. It's, it's way, you didn't look at anything as like stealing. Mm -hmm. You didn't steal, you reappropriate it. <laughs> yeah. And I was a good reappropriator. <laughs> if you've watched MASH, I I was good as radar and clinger. <laughs> yeah. At that point, you guys earned whatever you, you oh, reappropriated. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of stuff that people my rank wasn't supposed to have. Oh, yeah? Like what? Um... Uh, Other than ammo, right? <laughs> yeah, primarily stuff that you wouldn't think about. I I had one time when I got the general stakes 
the general's steaks. Mm-hmm. Oh, like actual steaks, like uh-huh. beef steaks. <laughs> we had a company party on this one general. <laughs> he um, supplied it all, huh? <laughs> yep. Unknowingly. We thanked him. Yeah. Did he get a? Did he get it like a piece or something or no? He just was wondering where his steaks were. No, we wasn't supposed. You, you don't let them know. You keep stuff like that to yourself. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Was uh, would you say your experience in in Vietnam? Obviously, it wasn't, you know, a vacation or nothing. But would you say it was overall good, or or what? What would you say you? I was actually safer than what it was in Fort Polk, Louisiana. Really? Oh, yeah. Why do you say that? Um, back then, some of the stuff they would do to us military, there were some cops that weren't very nice to us. Oh, really? And so most of the time, we retaliated. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we never picked a fight on with a cop, but... They, if they deserve something, they they got it. That's crazy to think that uh, police officers would have been against military, well, you know. But because you think you see you think uh, you see what's going on now, and then it seems like military and and first responders have kind of drawn closer together, where you know a lot of the public is protesting against yeah. police and, and the military. Kind of seemed like. Well, your back up the cops. But. Your parents' house, that mm-hmm. cop that bought bought theirs. Yeah, he's he's one of them that I've talked to, and the guy next door with the dog. Dave, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they both know if they were in trouble, they could count on me to. Yeah. Back them up. That's good. You have to have that sense of community. Oh yeah. Um. What do you think that is, um, what do you think was a way that you ended up serving out in Vietnam in a way that you didn't expect to when you first went there? Um, I sang in chapel. Really? I, yeah. And General Westmoreland come in one morning when I was singing. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to meet him, and he introduced himself to me. And he, uh, see, when you're in a concert and singing, the people were supposed to be quiet so you can do your thing. Ideally, Westy came to the back door of our chapel. He stood in the back of the room that we were in, mm-hmm. and he stood there until I got done. Then he come up in, cause as soon as he come in that door, whoever sees him is supposed to yell, "At ease," <laughs> or "On your feet," you know. But he waited until I got done before he come in and they were done. So he had that respect mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Well, it's it's just like. We had a trio. One guy, remember Peter, Paul, and Mary? You might be too young. Mm-mm. They were a trio, two men and a woman. Mm-hmm. Folk music, if you know what folk music is. A little bit. And um, 
we did pretty good. Yeah. I, I was a high singer, so I got to sing Mary's part. Really? <laughs> and You a tenor? Yeah. I, I went from there, and uh, I ended up 14 years, had a pavilion at the Ohio State Fair, and we sang gospel music. Really? After and, you got out of your uh-huh. service? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Were you in choir before you went to the college? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I had enough training that I led some choruses and corral groups and yeah, that's cool. I was in choir from uh, sixth grade all the way until I graduated. You sound more like a baritone. I was a tenor one. Tenor one. Mm-hmm. I sang bass in high school. Really. And I ended up. Did you ever hear of Bill Gaither? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I made a recording in his studio. What? Yep. And I got to meet a lot of those professional gospel singers. And I, I got to sing with some of them. That was always a thrill. That's cool. And I. I do you read music? A um, little bit. Mm-hmm. I had a. Uh, three octave range. Wow. And I, I could go clear down to G in the bass clef, mm-hmm. and I could go up to a uh, high C. So I had, had a wide range. Well, <clears throat> what was it uh, that, all, that attracted you to music? Um... I just in, enjoyed, I, I'm emotional, an emotional person. Mm-hmm. And you'll find a lot of Vietnam vets are like this. Yeah. I've gotten worse as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. And it, you can't sing when you're crying. No. <laughs> yeah. And I was in a group for four years at a Circleville, Ohio. Mm-hmm. I sang first center with them and they were a lot of fun. In the concerts with the big big groups, I had a lot of fun with the groups and they got to know where we could kid each other and really yeah. that's cool. I think uh music has always been something that it was always something I was passionate about. My mom she sang at Newark High School uh, in choir, and she had the at same... Ginger? Ginger, yeah, yeah, yeah. She had the same choir directors that I had mm-hmm. when I was in high school, which is pretty cool. And, and actually, she was pregnant with me when she was in her senior year. And so uh, the choir directors that taught her and, and, and everything, uh, they knew me like before I was even born. Yeah. And it's funny, they always like joked with me. They're like, yeah, you know. You were just, uh, you know, brought into it from the womb, you know. Your mom was singing solos with you, you know, yeah. while you were out she there. She seems more like an alto. I believe she was a soprano. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our, our voices are funny. I I haven't sung much for the last two years, especially because of yeah. my operations and everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm very... A de- very a dem- demonstrative singer. I put a lot of emotion into my music. Yeah. 
That's the best music, though, really. Blues has always been one of my favorite music genres because yeah. you can, like, I love guitar. I've been playing guitar since I was a freshman. If you listen to Bill Gaither's program, his group, the Gaither Vocal Band, does a lot of uh, um, rhythm and blues. and Really? And some of their tenors, one of the best tenors in the Southern Gospel business is David Phelps. Hmm. And he, he skies. He, he's really? an octave higher than me. Wow. When I was in my prime. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I think music's one of those things that it's cool because it, no matter where you're from or what language you speak or, you know, how you grew up, how you were raised, what you believe in, everyone can connect with music. Yeah. You, you can all hear, you know, some song by Earth, Wind, and Fire, or you know, you know yeah. uh, or whatever, some song. I wasn't too much into the vibe with it. The um, pop music and that. I yeah. I I did do, um, well, Simon and Garfunkel. You probably okay. yeah. I, I've done some of that. Bridge over the troubled water. Mm -hmm. I do that. Yeah. And that that's high enough. Mm hmm. And. Did you listen to a, so you said mostly like country and southern gospel? That was most of your big... Mostly, I started collecting my, I've got a big long play album collection. And I, I have quite a bit of it. And you see on my wall there, I've got a lot of DVDs and stuff that I, I listen to. And there's a lot, I've recorded a lot of myself on on them and yeah. listen to a lot of them that's cool now when you said that you said you did a uh you performed at the Ohio state fair for like 14 years mm -hmm. what brought you back there every year to do that uh we were invited oh really yeah that's probably we weren't paid mm -hmm. but we we had people in the state of ohio that sang gospel music they found out about us. We were, I forget the name of our organization now, but I would do emceeing and uh, I sang with my wife. And then I had a gal that was in the Columbus, Sym not Columbus, we were both in the Columbus Symphony Chorus, but she was also in the Ohio Youth Choir. Okay. And she and I, our voices were very compatible. You and Karen, your wife? Yeah. No, I, not so much my wife, but just this, this other, other girl. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> our, our, our voices were very, the the harmonious. Yeah, well, the tenure, tremor, in our voices was the same, and we, she, she couldn't do some of the things I could do, but she couldn't do some of the things that she could do. Yeah. So I'm I'm big into harmony. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what, I mean, because for going back to do that for 14 years, like, if you weren't paid and you were just invited, you could have easily said no. What do you think, you know, brought you back there every year? Uh, I enjoyed doing it, and, you know, I got to meet a lot of people on, in, in music, 
because we we brought people that what you call professionals mm-hmm. they would come in and sing for us and there's some some of the groups would invite me to sing with them because I, I i could you know harmonize real well and yeah make stuff up <laughs> yeah yeah some some people compared me to gomer oh yeah that, that kind of that sound mm-hmm. that's cool yeah what do you think uh what did you like about how it affected people who would listen like and who were there to to watch you you guys sing? um people it's worse now what we're going through and what the people's going through people are afraid because of the coronavirus mm-hmm. and all that and a lot of my songs um you, you ever hear Danny Boy? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a gospel songwriter took Danny Boy's melody and put, um, he looked beyond my faults and saw my need to that tune. Really? And it's, it was one I think I ended up G or an A. Okay. And I, I said, I need to vocalize because if you don't, you lose your highs. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised how much you've lost if you haven't sung much. You know, I've noticed that, like, I mean, right out of high school, um, I started smoking, like, at the end of my high school and, like, for, like, a couple years afterwards. Did you quit? I've quit oh, almost how many completely. Times? <laughs> almost completely quit. But uh, I, it's crazy. I've noticed um, now after having a smoked and the reason i started i'm like okay i need to quit is i would be singing and i couldn't sing at all like i used to in high school you know and the one thing my director told me about you know is you know even when you're in high school as a man your voice is still not developed at all it's kind of like what you were saying you were in high school you sung as a bass but then moved up to tenor but well my biggest problem was i didn't have the confidence yeah and then as at a after I got out of high school, I developed the con- confidence. And... That's a big thing, too. I think when I started pro- like using my falsetto a lot, I was doing it a lot in high school because I was in... I don't have a good falsetto. Really? Yeah, I never liked mine um, either. And But I've, kinda, I've started playing with it more um, recently and since I've been getting back into music a lot more. And, uh, and it's crazy how... Uh, how much your voice does change, you know, Oh yeah. over the years. Like you're saying, you lose a lot of your high capabilities. And then especially if you, do, if you do smoke, that'll take it down a good few notches too. When I was singing in a quartet, I, I was consistently B's and C's. Really? And I got one, you know, people don't realize they listen to my speaking voice. Mm-hmm. And most people say, you're a bass. <laughs> yeah. I says, I can sing bass. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of singers that have wide ranges like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To have a good vocal range and, and to be able to flow smoothly from your lowest to highs is, is something that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was um, something that you... uh. When you got back out of Vietnam, 
Um, you went into the reserves and into the National Guard. Yeah. Were you stationed in Ohio? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in the one unit was over on uh, Route 161 on the other side of Worthington. Mm-hmm. What they call Beetler Armory. That's they had helicopters and a transportation unit there. And then my reserve time was in an Army Field Hospital on in Whitehall. Okay. And uh, I just worked in, the, uh, I was in charge of their point cards. You get a point for each weekend that you pull duty. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to meet a lot of the people and we we went to uh, Corpus Christi, Texas for a summer camp. That that was fun. Mm. That was a naval air station. Oh really? And that they give you the best food of any military. The Navy? Yeah. Really? I've always heard the Air Force, like you get treated the best in the Air Force. Uh Air Force is more like a college situation. Oh, really? Like, I always tease the Air Force guys. I said, you weren't in the military. You you were just a, a ladies, man, ladies boy. <laughs> yeah. And they would take the teasing from me, but Navy and Marines can't tease each other. They'll get in a fight. Oh, really? They, but Navy and uh, Marines, they have the most pride or something, or...? Yeah, it's 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 an inner inner service rivalry. Yeah, huh. so it's Navy and Marines and what Army and uh, Air Force just kind of have rivalries, or no, we everyone kind of teases each other a little bit. Or... Yeah, yeah, had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, when you got back, there was some negative, you know, probably feedback from the people. But what was some positive um, feedback and uh, interactions you had when you got back? Now the people are very, they'll compliment you. Mm-hmm. I'll have one of my military hats on and mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of times they'll thank me. And like when I see another Vietnam veteran's hat on, with, with a hat, I'll say, welcome home, brother. Yeah, and we're kind of that way with each other. We didn't get welcome back, so we welcome each other. Mm-hmm. So you didn't get any welcome backs at all. Not really. Other than family. Even the churches weren't that friendly. They. And that hurt because I'd be doing the gospel music, and I had some. Stuff I could wear, and I I did Lee Greenwood's song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm proud to be an American, and at least I know I'm free. Yeah, I always did that one, and participated in a lot of veterans things where I would sing at them, and I've been able to sing on cruise ships because of that. Really, and, that's cool. So do you feel like music? Um, do you feel like you've served people uh, with your music and t- being able to touch more people with music than you did in military? Yeah. Well, I had uh, 
World War II veterans had a shindig at this place I was working at, and they asked me to sing on it. Really? That, that made me feel good. How did, how did it make you feel, if you could describe it, um, to sing for like other veterans and, and people? Uh, proud, knowing that I did my part, and knowing what I knew about the military and that I, I could recognize when guys were having problems. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a lot of Vietnam vets that are mentally ill. Yeah. They, they really are. That's why so many of the marriages failed. The guys just couldn't cope. I I heard uh, Sky I was listening to earlier. He was the Vietnam vet I was telling you about. He had said that one of the reasons he thought that that was a big problem was because it's like you're saying you weren't welcomed home and you're when you came back and a lot of guys felt like they didn't even come back home like yeah they, some they of left. Them, some of them didn't yeah what do you um what do you think that uh that you've experienced has been other What's some ways that you've experienced from other people or other organizations where they have served you as a veteran or served other veterans that you've encountered like after you were in the service or um i have I have been in situations where in fact I led this out in arizona there's a all of you know all of your military songs you know anchors away and Mm-hmm. The, the the service branch songs. Mm-hmm. I had a track with all of those on it. You know what I mean when I say track. <laughs> yeah. Right. And um, I got up different times during patriotic holidays, and I sang in a veterans chorus out there really? in Arizona. Huh. And uh, it, it it was fun. I I enjoyed it. And yeah. And these guys. You know, you see them, some of the soldiers' homes that I've been into, they sit there and some of them just sit there and cry like a baby. It's because they were never, some of them never have felt accepted. They didn't feel that appreciation from their country that they were risking their lives for. Yeah. What do you, there's a lot to, to unpack there, um, but with everything going on in today's world, do you think that you see kind of some parallels? Um, obviously there's not like anti-war protests going on now, because there's not really a war, you know, we're dealing with more of like a, an inner war, (laughs) You know, yeah. right now, but it's similar to what we Vietnam vets put up with. What's going on now is very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're old enough to remember Kent State University, where the National Guard soldiers shot some students. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the soldiers had no choice. They ordered those people to disperse. And if you feel your life in, you know, I'd rather shoot somebody and live than not shoot somebody and get killed. Yeah. And you don't look, you don't go out looking to shoot somebody. And I'm I'm just thankful I, I never had to, mm-hmm. even though I was in a situation where I had ammo in my weapon. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know if I could have pulled the trigger or not. Yeah. It's one of those decisions you don't really know if you can make it until you're in, in there in that position. The deciding factor is I had a son waiting for me and a wife. Yeah. And I wasn't going to let anybody cheat me out of that. <laughs> That's awesome. Because, I mean, you have a, a beautiful family now. Yeah. Well. Now, Karen and I have gone through it physically the last couple of years, but, you know, it's it's coming. Mm-hmm. It's going to take, I'll, hopefully next year I'll be able to, I'm on my feet now, but I I can't run or yeah. anything like that. You think you'll try to once you're able to? I probably won't because <laughs> of my my legs has gotten so weak. Yeah. See, I wrestled two years in high school, mm-hmm. and I used to ride a bicycle back and forth to work. So <laughs> my legs were strong. Yeah. They're not now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's one step at a time, so it's it's good it's good to see you moving forward. Yeah. Well, wife gets on my case because I don't do enough. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. But Keith, Keith takes care of the yard, and I I miss cutting the grass. Yeah. What do you um, what do you think has caused a lot of the conflict that we're seeing today? Uh, most most of these protesters now, their relatives were the ones that protested the Vietnam vets. Mm. That, that that's what's, you know, those people. We trouble love as it is. Any of us Vietnam vets, we defended ourselves in that. The Vietnam vet would get put in jail. And it would make you miss connections if you were on transportation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you didn't want to get caught, so you couldn't fight back. But some of us got to the point where we'd catch the ones who were messing with us, no cops around and that, and we give it to them. Yeah. What do you think... Um solution is to us moving forward and getting back to kind of the uh I mean there's no going back ever you know there's always just you know moving forward but getting back to that togetherness and that unity that we had during Pearl after Pearl Harbor what do you think it's going to take we had it initially right after 7-Eleven 
right right after we had the oh, those planes. Nine eleven. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We we had it for for a short time. We had it. You you could trust a black man to talk to him. We we're only like a minute in, so I deleted that. All right, we're back again. <clears throat> uh, my name's Ian Murphy. Back on episode three of Local Legends. Back here sitting with my grandfather James. <clears throat> so excuse me. I promise I don't have COVID. It's it's negative. I already got the test results. <laughs> Um, grandfather, last time when we were talking on our first episode, it was pretty cool. We, we talked about just kind of the reason why I'm starting this podcast, kind of why you're my big inspiration. Uh, I think life, um, boils down to, to service. Um, as far as, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, in the Bible or <clears throat> with religions that people talk about, <clears throat> you know, with different things about God that, you know, we have to learn and. Um, but a lot of people think about, you know, on a practical sense, you know, what can I do on, on my everyday to, to help people, you know, here while we're, while we're here, a lot of people don't think every day about, about God or about big questions, you know, when it comes to that in their life, but something that we can do and people can do just on a smaller level is just to help somebody just to serve, you know, help. And that's something that you said you were always compelled to since a young age was, was serving others. Uh, and some things that I had noticed uh, in listening to our first episode, I've listened to it a couple times, is you talked about how you were compelled to service from a young age, which was pretty cool. And we obviously see that like throughout your life and the multiple different ways that you've served. Um, the first time you went to World War II, you said you were drafted, right? Right. And then the but then you enlisted, or did did you enlist again, right, a second time? Did you After get I was discharged the first time, then I re-enlisted because okay. there was no job opportunities okay. at uh, Mount Aizang. Was that, that pretty much bottom line is, was the reason you went in the second time? Yes. Okay. Um, but still, at the same time, you, you always said that you were you felt compelled to serve. Um, yes. I remember you had said that you had felt... You always had this, like, ever since kind of you were in the service, or maybe it was before, but you had this tug at your heart um, that you were compelled to ministry work. Yes. How? When did you feel that starting? Even at a very young age, I felt, uh, I just felt that I n- needed to serve others. I uh-huh. just, you know, it was just in my heart. Yeah. That uh, I didn't uh, feel like that I was to... Uh, uh, do a lot on my own or to uh, credit me with anything, mm-hmm. but I wanted to, I just had a desire to serve others. Yeah. Um, did that always, man- how, when did that to start to manifest itself in the specific vision of doing ministry work? I would say it's, it started at, at, uh, Ten years old, actually, I began to realize that really? I want, always wanted to help others. Mm-hmm. And uh, even when I went back into the service the second time, uh, it yes, it was uh, because there was no jobs uh, to be had. But I also had in mind of uh, 
20, 25 years of, uh, of uh, military service yeah. when I went back in the second time. But then, as I told you before, it didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of, that's what I was going to talk about is something I noticed. What do you define as ministry? Because you said you felt compelled, because um, I was listening to our recording and there was just some certain words you had said and certain things that you would said that uh, had kind of struck me. Um, as important, but you had said you'd felt compelled and called to ministry work. What do you define as ministry? Well, in this case, I I defined the gospel ministry, mm-hmm. church ministry. Okay, yeah. And uh, especially uh, missions ministry, home missions ministry uh, here at home yeah. rather than foreign. Okay. And also... I was always, uh, we, we always supported uh, foreign missions too. Okay, yeah. Monetarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so when did that picture, because you said from like 10 you had known that you were help, supposed to help other people. Did that like right at 10 years old, were you, was, was it in your mind thinking, I want to be a pastor? No. When did you decide you wanted to be a pastor and work in a church? Uh, I had a real struggle of going into pastoral work mm-hmm. because I felt that it was such a challenge that, quite frankly, I always wondered if I was up to the challenge. Yeah. And uh, so I was very hesitant, very reluctant uh, for a, quite a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, I made the decision to go. What about it was challenging? About Well, that? the very idea that I'm dealing with people and their struggles and I'm, I'm not, uh, as far as, uh, uh, as, far as uh, academically, I wasn't trained mm-hmm. to counsel, uh, you know, and uh, only as a pastor. And uh, I felt that sometimes that... Uh, the need was greater than a just a regular pastor was equipped to uh, to meet, and uh, so it wasn't that I didn't want to. I wanted to very much, but I didn't feel like that I was qualified. I felt like others were more qualified that could do that, and I was well. Uh, I was well ready to support them financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was ready to, to help in any way I could. Uh, if someone else uh, could do the job, I would support them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, You felt like it, in a lot of ways, required more than you were able to bring to the table? Yes. Um, that <clears throat> I think that we see that a lot of times. And that's pretty crazy because... Uh, so like that was my next, um, so what I was getting at is something that I had noticed from, from the first episode that we recorded, uh, I wrote this down, uh, I was writing some notes down and I was listening to it earlier. And, uh, one thing that I had noticed is just like you said, you'd felt compelled to go into the ministry, um, rough and relatively like time wise was that, uh, was that roughly around the same time you went into the service? Yeah, that was right. prior to the service, 
And then the service, of course, when the war came along and I was drafted into World War II, I, uh, you know, that changed a lot because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I didn't know uh, what the situation would ever be yeah. <laughs> after that, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was, uh, it was uh, you know, I lived my life on a day-to-day -day basis back, back <laughs> then. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, I really had just sort of put it out of my mind mm -hmm. uh, during service time because, you know, you never knew what the future held. And so I, uh, I guess I just sort of put it out of my mind and uh, when I was re uh, when I was discharged from the service, uh, the first time, I uh, I soon after that met my wife and got married, and uh, uh, that again changed things. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, I'm trying to kind of put it aside, do what I could do for the local church for the uh, missionaries of the local church and serve in the capacity of, uh, well, in fact, I served in the capacity, I think I told you, of uh, Christian education department mm -hmm. in the local church. And I thought this would get the job done. I thought this would relieve my, my, my uh, you know, my feeling that I was to be in ministry. And, uh, so for a number of years, I'm, I'm going to say for maybe as much as five years, I worked in Christian education, which was ministry. Mm -hmm. And uh, I worked in Christian education in the local church. I supported, I personally supported a lot, you know, for missions. And uh, I, I did all I could locally for people. I would go out and visit sick people. I would go uh, sometimes and visit people in the hospital, you know, really? and uh, new people coming into the town, I would go visit them and, and uh, invite them to church, and uh, and I actually had a list of where that I was very active in uh, in going out and talking to people on a one-on-one one -on -one basis, and uh, I was very active. Every week I would call on a number of people, hmm. and... Uh, uh, especially if there were new people that moved into town, I would uh, go meet them yeah. and welcome them into town and tell them who I was, <laughs> what I was involved in, if I could help them anyway, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's yeah. cool. Um, and that was that before or after you were in the military service? That was uh, after I the first time. That was uh, so. That was in between your the, your first both... and second service. Okay, time. okay. That that's that's cool. So what I had written down, what I noticed is, um, so you went to the military service kind of because you wanted you needed some good work, uh, and it was kind of hard to come by around that time and the state of the economics and the way that the country was and the war was going. But also, you you just felt compelled to serve, and you're kind of thinking about making the military a career. And, and yes. at at that point, you'd be serving your country. You'd be serving, you know, this cause of freedom and yes. and uh, free will. Uh, and obviously, you have a Hitler that we're dealing with as a nation, and then these foreign, you know, crazy ideology, you know, these powers um, that we're fighting against. But um, 
you went into the military with kind of multiple ideas, but wrapped around this idea of service, right? Um, but prior to that, you had felt compelled to be a pastor, yes, right? And you felt compelled to serve, regardless of, of how it was. It wasn't necessarily military, yes. but that's how it had played itself out to be. And it looked like you would have this 25-year-long career in the military, right? And I, what I thought was crazy about that is, is you happen to meet grandmother, right? And you guys got married. Um, and you said when you were in your second enlistment, you got married, what was it, right before your second enlistment? No, into my second this enlistment, is, uh, maybe six or eight months. Yeah, and at this same, at this point, you still were planning to be in the military and have a career in there, yes. right? So you had gotten married in your second enlistment. She became pregnant in your second enlistment. And then you had, at that point, you had kind of forgotten about being a pastor. It wasn't really on your agenda and your foreseeable future. But this is just kind of crazy as far as how the world works, how God works in our lives in ways we don't see presently. But he, but he's always working underneath the surface and, and the universe kind of has a way of bringing our purpose to our doorstep. But you had, um, when she became pregnant, uh, the military would not, the army wouldn't support you financially enough to support your family and your new family. Yes. Um, and so you had to leave and then the details of how it exactly happened i'm not sure but but pretty soon after you went directly into ministry work and into working with a church well that was the time that uh, maybe i should make a correction there that was the time that i worked about five years in the local church okay yes so you'd already been working in a church between your two enlistments so you're already kind of you gotten in that scene a little bit already so it was pretty easy to get back in there full time yes okay and uh, I might say, too, that uh, I noticed you mentioned being uh, called to be a pastor. I, uh, I never really felt a call to be a pastor mm-hmm. as such. I felt, I felt just a general call to be in the work of the church no matter what it was. So it wasn't necessarily to be up there, up front on the stage. Being, That's right. Being the one that, do, do you feel like, were you, or have you always been more of an introvert or extrovert? Well, I've been, I've been pretty much a, an extrovert. Yeah. Um, I like to meet people. Yeah. But you didn't really necessarily want this spotlight. You just wanted, no, you wanted I, to be a I servant. Just, I just wanted to be a servant. Yeah. Um, what I thought was pretty cool about that is how, you had kind of forgotten about being in the ministry. You hadn't forgotten. You had just been doing it for like five years in between your enlistments. Um, but at this point, specifically in your second enlistment, um, when you'd signed up for it, not when you were drafted, but when you signed up for it with the idea and intention of making this a career possibly, uh, things just happen to happen. Events are out of our control, but, but it happened to happen that, I mean, obviously in your control, you know, uh, you made the decision to get married and then, you know, grandmother got pregnant. Um, but those things just happened to play out at that time and you happened to leave the military uh, and go into the ministry work, which ultimately led you to starting to work in this small local church and then eventually you moved to a bigger church and then eventually you moved to Ohio and, you know, grew your family and... um 
leading down to your granddaughter having to meet, you know, someone here. It's just, it's crazy. I think about like how things had to have happened in certain ways, like in order for me to exist, you know, just like in, in our bloodline with our family, like if you would never have come to Ohio, I wouldn't be here, you know, and it's just crazy to think about those sorts of things, like how everything happens for a reason, you know, Yes. isn't that crazy? You say the Holy Spirit leads us even when we don't realize that, you know, that he's leading. Mm -hmm. uh, he is leading our lives. God is is uh, involved in all of our lives if if we allow him to. Yeah. And uh, of course we have to allow him to and he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. And uh, so all along, uh, you know, you have in your mind, uh, or I did, uh, you know, for instance, in the military, I had in my mind, well, I'll, I'll go into the military and I'll serve the country and I'll do what I can for any anyone, you know, mm -hmm. but I will uh, I will be serving and uh, maybe this is what I should be doing. And uh, that worked for a while, but then the Holy Spirit, uh, he doesn't just leave us to our own decisions. Uh, he uh, he uh, never leaves us alone, and we always have that inner voice that says, you know, uh, this is the way, you know, that we should go. And so it definitely was uh, not in my hands, really, to be discharged a second time. It wasn't in my hands to seek a pastoral position, uh, it all just came together that way, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Yeah, but, and that's crazy, though, is, like, that's what's cool is, is you didn't have to make that decision. You know, obviously, it might not have plan played out so good, but you could have chose to stay in the military and avoid that calling and avoid that choice because, ultimately, we have free will, and so... You could have chose your career like so many other guy, men do in this world, or, and, and women too, you know, choose their career over their family, you know. But you chose you, your calling that you knew deep down you had, and the Holy Spirit was, was working in your life, and you knew that that's what you were supposed to yeah. do. Um, and you chose that, so you, you did what, you know, that, that's just a good example, I think, of, of making the right decision. You know, you made the right decision to... To go into ministry work, which you, which was even a higher form of service than the military for you, and and you also chose your family. You know, like we have to serve. I think when we talk about living a life of service, we want to serve ourselves to where we're in good position. And I think I think that's another aspect of serving that people forget too is just serving ourselves. Like with so many different, you know, we have all these different, you know. Um, negative things that we can take spend our time doing like and w living in america today just an, as an example like we have a lot of poor food around us just as a small example like a lot of people are overweight and have a lot of issues with with health because of lack of care for themselves you know so a lot i think we have to serve ourselves to make sure that we live a good healthy life um and obviously you've done that you know you wouldn't be 93 and <laughs> still be as sharp as you are if you hadn't but uh but serving our family too. A lot of people, I think, 
and I've done this, you know, so I can speak off experience, choose work over family. You know, I've missed out time. Um, I've missed out time with Jude, my son, when he was real young, um, just because I was working a lot. And, you know, or I'd, I'd be hanging out with some guys from work or just, you know, wasting time doing stuff that I knew I shouldn't be doing. Um, but I just thought that was cool. That was, that was a good example of, uh, of you make, of making the right decision and choosing a good, two good principles there. I think it's family's most important, you know, when it comes to people. Um, and, and God takes precedence over everything. Yeah. You know? um, yes. But, uh, and then the other one was cool. I thought this was pretty funny is when you had gotten into the ministry, you said you're working with another pastor, like, or under another pastor. And uh, your words exactly were, uh, you said, um, you felt you were being, you felt he pushed you too fast and too hard, um, but you appreciated that he was willing to work with you. And basically him giving you his time, which I thought that was pretty funny. Well, there again, I, as I look back, I realized that he was being led of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That actually that his directions then to me were actually I believe uh, in, uh, you know instituted by the Holy Spirit and you guys both had that calling and God was working with both of your lives to to where your guys's fate or I guess destiny or moral obligation was intertwined you know like with each other's and, and, and that aspect and that situation he was he was called to help you get to where you needed to get to help others. And, um, I also thought that was cool because, you know, and you can take that same kind of situation and apply it to almost any other thing in life. Is um, you just like you said earlier, you felt like you you knew you were called to do uh, would you say ministry work or. Uh, is that that'd be the right way to say it? Ministry work? Yeah. <laughs> um, but you felt called that you were uh, supposed to do that, but at the same time, you didn't feel like you were worthy. You didn't feel like you were... You didn't feel like... At all times, you didn't feel like you always had what it took, but you still felt you were called to it. And what I thought was cool is, is he pushed you out of your comfort zone. And as people, we have to step out of our comfort zones in order to grow. And you, you know, we all want to take the easiest path in our... Um, possible it's just human nature but uh but you didn't and you grew from it ultimately and, and got other offers um, other opportunities brought to you because you pushed yourself and because he was there to challenge you right yes and uh, he was uh, he was uh, he had one thing in mind for his life hmm. that was to reach people for Christ I mean he was just he was just anxious to meet and witness and try to lead anyone that he could to Christ. Really? And you know, that that kind of left an impression on me. And uh, in the process of my pastoral ministry, I have helped and led at least four other people into a, a line of ministry. Two of them were, one of them was a pastor for until he passed. And um, in fact, both of them, both of the men 
uh, were, uh, uh, I guess, uh, one was an evangelist more than a pastor, and uh, uh, then the pastor, and then there was a couple of ladies that I had, uh, 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 I influenced in ministry, and they're still in the ministry today. Really? Yeah, they're in New York. How does that feel to to be the one who kind of promoted well, another pastor? Well, there again, it wasn't uh, something that I pushed on them. It was something that I realized that they needed a, a, a little bit of a direction, a little bit of encouragement, uh, you know, uh, uh, a little bit of uh, to know that that uh, it meant a lot to them to know that I uh, was uh, standing behind them and encouraging them. Yeah. That's cool. Sometimes I feel like we just need uh, we just need the reassurance that we're good enough and that we we can do what we are called to do even even if we're not if we're willing that's one thing that I've realized I've start I learned recently is if if we're willing to do something we we might not be able we might not have the skills to do it but as long as we're willing the skills will come and uh, God gives us the skills it wasn't it wasn't totally that I didn't feel worthy it was that I didn't feel qualified yeah to uh, to meet the challenge, mm -hmm. and uh, yet just you hit it on the head there. Uh, you know, as we put forth our best, then God makes up for what I lack. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, He He assists. The Holy Spirit helps us when we uh, minister, when we pray. Mm -hmm. That that's something I've actually today this morning. Um, I've kind of thought about it and um, since we started, since we filmed our first episode uh, a couple weeks back, um, I, I had known like the day before, I was like, I've been, I've had this idea to do this for like a couple months and procrastination has always been like one of my worst habits that I have, like since I was a little kid and I've still try to understand why I just won't try on certain things like when I know I should is I just have this like ingrained laziness and I hate, hate it because it hurts me so many different ways and so many different times in my life it's hurt me um, but uh, what had got me to stop procrastinating to do this because I knew I wanted to do it but I told myself like I don't have cameras yet to film it I don't have microphones to, to really get a good uh, recording you know but we have $1,200 phones at our disposal with you know perfectly good qual quality apps to help us get this done which is what we're using now but um but I we have all these like great excuses to use of why we we'd have to do something right now but but ultimately they're just excuses you know and, and it's just another reason for us to keep putting off what we should be doing uh, and when you had, honestly, when you had gotten sick a couple weeks back, I was pretty worried because, um, you know, Mamma was saying that you weren't feeling too well and she wasn't sure how you were feeling and, and it hit me, you know, and it, it, it sucks that things, this is how it has to be, you know, like something bad has to happen. Just like this is the next, like we were talking last week, uh, a couple weeks back about like the Great Depression and World War II um, and these two horrible things had to happen. All this death had to happen. For people just to come together and and when they did come together 
look how much they accomplished. Like how great, how great was the U.S. in the fifties and then the sixties? I mean, uh, outside of you know Vietnam and like there. In was my it, opinion, mm -hmm. the U.S. became the wonder of the world after World War Two. Was after ever? World War Two because of what we had accomplished. And it wasn't that everybody loved us, I don't mean that, but yeah. but uh, it was a miracle uh, that we had come together. And that brings me to, uh, I believe, uh, in that God actually uh, has been in the development of America from day one. Mm -hmm. I believe that America is uh, definitely in the plan of God for the world. Because you let a tragedy happen on the other side of the world, and who is first to show up with help? And that is even in today's world. America is usually the first one on the scene with aid, with help, with concern. And, uh, uh, you know, that is outstanding. Mm -hmm. You don't see some of the other nations running to help another nation that is in no, trouble. You don't see China doing that. That's right. <laughs> you, you don't see you don't see some of these other larger larger or smaller nations. You don't see them running to another nation to assist them with everything uh, from uh, you know from material or to monetary or or, or uh, hospital. You know. I mean, America has has uh, always had the the general has had the attitude that we're here to serve. Yeah. And uh, you know, today, uh, you know, it's difficult to understand the attitude of people today, right in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and one of the problems, in my opinion, yeah, is that uh, so many different cultures, and I think I mentioned this before, but so many different cultures have come into America and they have brought in their, uh, their ideas, mm -hmm. their God, their, you know, their purpose. Yeah. And um, uh, many came willing to work, willing to do whatever they could, and yet many came for what they could personally get out of it, and they're still coming today. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, this has changed uh, uh, what, what was once America. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very concerning to me and people, uh, you know, of uh, more aged people, it's very concerning uh, as to what is taking place in our, in our uh, world today. Yeah. And uh, you take... Uh, uh, some people that have come in here, I think, again, maybe I talked about this last week, but they have formed uh, communities uh, where they become a voting block and uh, they vote their some of their people into our government and it's happening right today. Uh, and uh, they want to take God out. They want to take God off of the money they want to take God totally out of uh, out of the program, you know. Uh, in God we trust, uh, uh, you know. They they want to totally uh, put God out, and uh, uh, you know, 
I'm back to my thought in the original thought was that uh, that uh, there again we have a free choice even as a nation mm-hmm. and uh, if we want to put God out we put him out of our courts we put him out of our uh, out of our government we put him out of our schools uh, we you know and uh, you know uh, I believe I believe that as we see uh, tsunamis, earthquakes, tragedies all over the world, this this COVID situation, I believe that God is speaking to America. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that uh, America will, will either listen or continue on a downward spiral uh, with all the abortion and the attitude about abortion, think of all the little children that have been murdered, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They have been murdered. And you think God is going to allow that to happen without some kind of a repercussion? And uh, accepting uh, gay life and lesbian life and and uh, defending that above, uh, you know, uh, regular... God-fearing people, defending that. Listen, if God made Sodom and Gomorrah and 12 other nations in that area pay the price for homosexuality, you think he's going to forget what America is doing today? Uh, (laughs) Because the scripture says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has not changed his mind about sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that uh, if we want to go the route that that some are insisting on going today, okay, we'll pay the price for it. Yeah. That's just God's word. America's definitely become a lot more just open and that's that's kind of our culture is just acceptance and and but you see it i think when i was raised um one thing that kind of i think got me about christianity um when i was younger is um i felt i didn't um like when i was first growing up you know i had a lot of you know family my grandma a lot um who was a lot of like close family who was really religious it was you know I'd hear not like every day but like whenever home whenever homosexuality would be brought up um gay people it was always like hate um and you, you know they'll burn in hell you know and I I heard from my grandma a lot that uh you know whenever she would see anybody who was gay or hear it it always oh they're going to hell all the, you know this and that like and there's a lot of negative like hate really it it was like just disdain for other people um and i became very like uh homophobic and and really like against gay people and like i would make jokes like when i was younger about like i if i ran into talking to someone who was gay or sounded real feminine or something i'd you know would just automatically have this disgust for for that person um and i and i'm still like you know i'm not comfortable like around someone who is gay but I thought, like, after I got older, like, 
that just you hear you know in Christianity like hate shouldn't be you know obviously you shouldn't have hate hate's not promoted in the Bible but then you have a lot of these you know Christians who you know it talks about it is a sin to you know to be gay or whatever in the Bible um, but you know I I don't think it um, it doesn't uh, it doesn't back up this hate and this like you know um, segregation of other people and then that that always kind of rubbed me I guess the wrong way as far as how um, much dislike and um, like basically not allowance of this kind of lifestyle and you know I'm not sure exactly what it says in the Bible um, but I I will say for me personally I've tried to let go of that hate because I don't I don't know people you know I don't care if someone's gay you know like it's not it doesn't affect me in my life and I've kind I've tried to like be okay with it just to not have hate for someone I don't know just I, I don't want to have this this disdain for someone I have no idea about you know but at the same time um, I, I'm still not completely comfortable with it and I don't want to be around it <laughs> but uh, but when you do I think a lot more of these issues are when you have uh, people like up in Canada they had uh, Bill C-16 some years a few years back where they tried to change they either tried to or did change the laws to where these transgender people are making this big huge wave and they're trying to change speech they're they're trying to say that there's not two genders this this is what really bothers me is i can give two craps if, if you're gay like it's not my life it's your life whatever um we already know that the medical um dangers of it at least you know for people dying of aids or whatever but it's it's your life whatever but when you try to change free speech and tell me that I have to address people by like, you're not a he, you're not a she, you're a zer or a they, you know, pe people actually want to be said that their gender is they, or, you know, there's not two genders and, and they want to make that like a law and where they'll, where you can be locked up and actually sent to jail if you don't address somebody by the right pronoun. Like th that's just, that's just ridiculous. Well, Speaking of hate, there is no room for hate for anything but, as far as God is concerned, mm -hmm. He loves everybody. Yeah. But where the difference comes, hate is for sin. I mean, you hate, you don't hate the person, but you hate that lifestyle. You, um, you know, it couldn't bring anything good to general society. Look yeah. at the Boy Scouts. Look at the Boy Scouts. What do you mean? Well, now they've, they've uh, disbanded because of, of so many gays that went into the Boy Scouts as leaders and, and uh, violated so many of the young men. And right now, uh, there's a, uh, there's a, a if you have been violated by a leader in the Boy Scouts, there, there's, a, you know, you can uh, uh, join this, uh, I'm trying to think of what it is, uh, uh, a group that uh, you, you can uh, receive uh, um, uh, rep uh, You can receive, like, uh, money uh, for it. Reparation. Yeah. Yeah. And, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, it's 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 on you know it's so on the, the it's on the daily news. In fact, I think the 
I think it's it's just a few days now that uh, then it's uh, you can't file anymore. But if you have been violated in the Boy Scouts, you can file right now and uh, uh, receive you know whatever that the uh, group comes up with. You know. Jeez. And uh, even now, the Girl Scouts look look at this. The Girl Scouts sent a message to uh, this new lady justice that was just put on the court. Amy Clummy Barrett, yeah. Yes. And, uh, and uh, there's all kinds of, of, uh, uh, of uh, repercussion from it to the Girl Scouts. Had to, they had to take it back and, and apologize because they, because they, they uh, uh, sent her a letter of commendation. What did they say? They, they just said, "Congratulations, you, you've become, uh, Amy. You've become a, a Supreme Court justice." Mm -hmm. That's all they said. And they got in trouble for that. Well, yeah. This is this is big time headline news. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to me not watching news <laughs> news every day. That's um, going on right now. And the Boy Scouts, they have they have. Uh, when did that filed, happen? The Boy Scouts. Oh, months ago. So that happened this year, where they just disband. They uh, they file for bankruptcy, and uh, as far as I know, they they uh, are are disbanding. Oh man, I mean, I was never in Boy Scouts, but I I've known you know obviously you know you hear about it growing up, and I'm sure it's impacted a lot of people's lives in a good way, you know, and so that's not a good thing. Well, then you hear about like all this, like this Jeffrey Epstein. You know, and how big pedophilia is becoming today. I was listening to this podcast a couple of days ago, and they were talking about how um, how pedophilia it is more acceptable in the gay community, and like in the, the heterosexual. So, like a, a straight a straight community, if you hear about a forty year old guy hooking up with a fifteen year old girl, a sixteen year old girl, even if she's eighteen. But but if she's if she's say she's fourteen if she's fourteen to to eighteen because that's where the issue comes in, is in that age group when she's underage if you're a forty year old guy is getting with you know this fifteen year old girl lock him up drag him through the street you know send him to prison it's disgusting you know right like everyone freaks out about it obviously for good reason it's it's not something that's right you know she's still developing she's not of age. Um, but then in the gay community, it's more acceptable. It's you know, it's not as big of a deal if if a forty year old guy's messing around with a fifteen year old boy. You know, it's, it's so so that so then there's that. You have this like almost like one sin makes it okay for another sin, makes it okay for another sin and and it's just this kind of like you know, it's just it's like a snowball effect. Like where does it end? Where does it stop? I, uh, I, as I said before, I have, I have the feeling that uh, if America continues on the way that it's going, that uh, there'll be severe consequences uh, from the hand of God. And uh, there again, I'm back to all these cultures of all over the world yeah. coming into America. And uh, again, they don't come and accept America's God. They don't accept 
many of America's ways that made America great, mm-hmm. you know, the things that made America great, many of the cultures of the world coming in here don't accept that. And uh, uh, they bring in their uh, their Muhammads and their and their Buddhists and and uh, all these things and it's 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 really it is destroying what has always been known as America. It's destroying it. Yeah. You know, I have said for the last twenty years, even back while I was pastoring, I would get letters from different people. What do you think about all the immigration of today? Mm-hmm. And I, I remember writing a letter and saying, I think that immigration should be absolutely stopped for, I think I said 20 years, mm-hmm. until we decide, you know, who is coming in, why are you coming in, if you are being mistreated and and if you're being abused in your nation and and you know, well, sure, we're going to help. But people just coming here for the benefits. And, uh, and uh, look at all these people that have come in here. Look at, look at 9-11. Mm-hmm. These people come in here and took all the benefits of our colleges and, and uh, you know, trained to fly the, the, the big planes and, and all. And then, you know, when they got the chance, uh, they, they did fly the big planes. They took over. And you're, talking, you're talking about the people who committed those te- acts of terror. Yeah, were they were they the ones piloting the plane? I thought they yes, just, they took over the. I plane. thought they I thought they were just uh, they just paid to fly they had to paid to be on the flight and then they hijacked it and then that's took right over. they hijacked it and but they, they were, weren't the pilots though yes, right yes they had trained for to fly those okay. planes and they okay so they, they flew those yeah. planes. But do you think that that can really be prevented? Well, or do you think, it could, I guess you're saying that if, you're, if it would have been blocked off from now, immigration. The Democrats are wanting to let any and everybody come in, give them free college, free medical, free, free jobs, you know, free everything. And what are you going to get from other nations if you just open it up to everybody? And then... How many can we take in from other nations? What do we do? Drain the population from Iran, Iraq, Salvador? What do we do? Do we drain the population of those nations by letting them come here? You got everything free here. Who pays for that? Who does pay for that? That's really what... The taxpayer, you do. Yeah. And when I think, when I hear about that kind of stuff, you know, I I heard a, I watched a, an interview with Bernie Sanders. Um, most of my family, most of our family is Republican and conservative, um, and it seems like more these days, uh, most reasonable people you'll find are conservative, because <laughs> the left is just so crazy, but. Uh, but still, I, I try to, like, I, it's like we were talking about earlier with abortion. You know, like, I, I'll try to, to understand their position on it and understand why they're fighting for pro-choice. Why, are, you know, so if I can understand why someone's fighting for that position, maybe there's some 
logical arguments in their position. With abortion, I don't see any of it. I think abortion's wrong in every way, but because uh, that's a life and they're taking a life that has no say. They have no, they're a bait, they're a fetus. They have no say, but that's a person and, and they're killing it with, before they even give it a chance. Um, but with like some different socialist ideas, I have to wonder if it's a good thing and ultimately like, um, like Bernie Sanders, he was talking about, you know, free college and, or at least highly reducing the price. I do think college is really expensive and, you know, if it's too expensive, I don't know. Could it be done for cheaper? Maybe, probably, you know. I would like to go to college, personally, but I have two jobs. Well, first of all, I'm too busy, personally, to go to college right now. And I, I that sounds like a good excuse, but I, I, you know, between two jobs and a three-year-old boy, I just, I don't have the time. But if I did, just from an investment standpoint, it's like if I wanted to go to college for what I wanted to go for, I would spend about $100,000. If I, if I wanted to go where I wanted to go, and I, I've already thought about where I'd want to go for college and what I'd want to study, and I'd have to spend about $100,000 in order to have a good four-year degree of what I wanted to study. And to me, it's like, there's probably some great knowledge that can be gained from that and great skills that can be gained from that. But is it worth the investment? You know, and is, could it be done cheaper? At, if it was better managed and better organized and you have these kids and, and then you're forcing this like go to college you know when I was in high school they had these programs that were you know so pro college they they try to force every kid they have it's called a uh, college prep I think yeah college prep is basically what it was in at Newark High School and as soon as you became a junior when when you're a sophomore in high school they brought every sophomore student in there and had a meeting with this college prep person. Um, and then as a junior, you had like three scheduled visits. So they're trying to help you pick a college. Even you have, at, when you're 16, 17, you have no idea what you want to do with your life for the most part. You're still changing. You're still developing. I've changed my mind. I don't know how many times since then on what I wanted to do. But you have a culture uh, uh, parents and teachers and government and news all pushing college and these kids don't know what they want to do a lot of them if they just they need to go out and experience some hard work and then that would help them you know find out who they are a lot more because hard work is more rare these days the more we go but you have a culture that pushes college pushes all these kids into college I've had so many friends go into college and then drop out with a bunch of debt because they didn't even really know why they were going. They were just going because their parents told them they should go. The school told them they should go. So if you're going to push college so much as a culture, why does it, why is it so expensive? It seems like there's another agenda behind that, right? Well, <clears throat> these college professors mm -hmm. are, they are a problem by and large and uh, they will warp a child's mind Mo many of them will most of them will and uh, so you come out believing whatever that college professor and he has gotten so political and left wing mm -hmm. by and large they are all political left wing yeah i've realized that and uh and so, uh, what what are you going to do? What are you going to produce if that's what you have in college? Yeah. 
And then, like you said, they come out with these $100,000, more, some of them more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and debt. How do, they pay, how do they pay that and live a life? Yeah, exactly. You know? And uh, that's where we are. They're, they're going to burn in and uh, see away and uh, all those. They're, they're, well, they're going to reduce that. They're going to, in some cases, they're going to forgive college uh, debt. Well, who pays for that? And then these colleges are way overrated. Most of these colleges have long since left their calling as a institution teaching higher education. Yeah. And uh, uh, most of them have become a political institution rather than a, than an educational, uh, academic uh, uh, advance, you know. That's, and, that's wrong, obviously. And uh, so, uh, you know, when you, but when you look at it, and it still comes back to uh, it still comes back to I have to come back to the thing that America has become a boiling pot mm-hmm. of cultures, of all different kinds of cultures. That's a good thing in some ways, right? Well, it isn't working, in my opinion, uh-huh. for America's interest, best interest. Because I see America being diluted to a place that it is no longer the America that, they, that the world once knew. And... Uh, uh, there again, you got all these kind of different ideas, different people and their ideas coming in here, and the reason they came, and uh, and uh, what they're doing. I I don't want to, I don't want to discuss this, but I know some people that are in here from other nations that don't pay a dime taxes. They uh, they uh, they won't even become a, uh, they won't become a. Citizen, you said like illegal immigrants. Well, they don't intend to be an illegal immigrant, but they just they haven't they haven't joined America. They haven't applied for citizenship. How did they get here in the first place? Well, how they open borders. I mean, they come in. Oh, so they so they came in just to visit, but then they stayed here and they haven't gotten the. No, they came in here to stay. How can they do that without getting a visa or without getting a... Boy. I sound pretty ignorant, I know. <laughs> this is what Bernie and all of them are suggesting. Open up the borders. Let them come from all over. And that's what they've been doing. So that's already been a thing? Oh, yeah. and But but uh, Trump, that's one of the big things of Trump. He built a wall. And they have just murdered him, practically. We... Because of that. Yeah, but I th- so I thought, um, and this is one of the other areas that I'm just not educated enough in yet, but I thought illegal immigration was already illegal, right? That sounds like a dumb question, but is Well, they won't even let you call it illegal. They don't, the left don't even want you to call it illegal. So what you're saying, though, is people... They're undocumented, undocumented uh, citizens. Yeah, 
it's illegal, it's illegal immigration. But um, but what do you uh, but so what you're saying is is people have been allowed. It's not like because from what I thought was, you know, illegal immigration was it was illegal, right, to come here without going through the proper steps was illegal. It was just not managed and secured properly. So they had a lot of openings, and so people slid through the cracks and got in here without being noticed because they were doing a crappy job of uh, supervising this. But what, it sounds like what you're saying is, is people will come here, and the government knows about it, but they just don't care, and they just let them come in here? Or, is that well, what you're saying? That's the way the Democrats want it, because the Democrats know that they'll vote for them. If they get them in here, they'll vote for them, see? And uh, our southern border, plus, plus New York and the eastern coast, you know, and people for years have just come in here and, yeah, they'll get a green card, which says they're visitor, but you never see them again. So these people get a visa or a green card, and which is just like a, basically a temporary pass, and it expires, right? It doesn't have a certain... Oh, yeah. Yeah, and these people will just, like you said you won't see them again. They yeah. just, yeah. Hmm. Um, hmm. Do you think that, do you think, I mean, what do you think that, as far as the college thing, what do you think the solution is? You don't think that it should be forgiven or college should be free? Do you think that that's a right or? Well, if, I, I mean, what's the if, if, if that's right for, for, for that group of people, mm -hmm. then what about the rest of us? What 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 do we get free? And besides that, we're the ones that's paying the bill. You know, if you've got a job and paying taxes, you're paying the bill. That's true, but we pay tax pay, paying money for um, elementary school to be free. Right, and, and, and school is a right for every kid up until 18, you know, K through 12. So what's the difference between that and college? Well, the difference between that and college, they're seeking, uh, they want you to give them a lifetime job. They're, they're seeking something that will, that will give them a lifetime job, a personal, you mm -hmm. know, a lifetime yeah. job. Isn't that the whole purpose of school completely, though? Is just to do like the whole purpose of of elementary mm -hmm. is is you know to educate a child to you know to uh, make him uh, acceptable in society. They don't do that. That's the thing is in school, and and I'm speaking from the perspective of just graduating three years ago. Is they don't prepare you for society at all. All school is. Yeah, in elementary school and, and throughout high, middle school and high school, you learn about some history. It's their own version of history, you know, in some aspects. Um, and you, you learn about a little bit about science, but really what it is is just college prep in a way. They, they have designed school to just prepare you for college. Not They don't teach anything about financial management. If I think if... If K through 12, like kindergarten through senior through high school was done right, they would be preparing everyone to go out and be a productive member of society. Um, but they don't do that at all. They just prepare you for college and then they try to push college on you. 
but then it's like, oh, but if you want to do that, you got to pay a hundred grand to go do that. So up to you. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Yes, I I know, I know what you mean. Uh, it's uh, you know the the teachers union is a powerful union. And uh, as long as they uh, are getting paid and they, uh, 